Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. So with the Could room clear and quiet, yeah, he's 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 gonna oh, tell us. Oh, are you us, actually cutting us? Are you to gonna make try? Or? No. Are you? I just okay, wanted well, I just wanted okay. the stage open. Are you going to do a rolled R or no? No, you don't I, have I to. can't. The whole point here is that I cannot do a rolled R. I played uh, trombone for a number of years uh, in, uh, uh, start, I guess, starting tragic late elementary, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, college. Played normal band, pit orchestra, jazz band, all that. Big trombone player. Did a lot playing the trombone. Uh, in order to make a certain sound that is every once in a while called for and is undeniably the coolest trombone <laughs> sound, you need to be able to roll your R's while blowing into the instrument. Uh, uh, a lot of people think the coolest trombone sound is the... No, that's actually pretty lame, and uh, frankly, it's overdone. You know, people ask you, oh, I'll, I'll, move, the, I'll move the slide while you blow into it. That sucks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Annoying. Don't do that to trombone players. They, they hate it. Uh, but the coolest sound is if you roll your R's and uh, uh, you blow into the trombone and you, you move the slide, you can make, like, what is, like, this very fierce-sounding just like badass, like really angry sounding like a you trombone. That's just, it's like screaming. It's like the equivalent trombone equivalent of like trumpet, just like fucking howling. Right. Uh, really cool sound. Have to do it every once in a while for like jazz band stuff. Never could do it. Cannot hmm. roll my R's. Never learned. Tried for a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. The, brutal. The, fra- the phrase gets bandied around a lot uh, and it's pretty like bald and barren, but this literally sounds like a skill issue. Is it not? Is it just something that you could have tried harder to do? I didn't, you know, I took, I took German in high school. I didn't take Spanish. I didn't, uh, it's just, I, I can, I can do all the other like fun things that people like kids learn how to do. I can whistle, I can snap, you know, like I can, I can do that. Do kind all of stuff. the fun Rolling things R's. kids learn to do. <laughs> whistle Some people and never snap. Learn to do those. Some people <laughs> never learn to do those. My brother, Nick could not snap until like five years ago. Uh, he could not whistle until like eight years ago. He is now 30. Yes. We talk um, about Nick Grossman both too much and not nearly enough on this podcast. But rolling R's is one of those things that kids like naturally kind of intuit as they grow up. And for some reason, I, it just avoided me. Uh, so I so, can't do it. So the director of this film is Jodorowsky for me. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, so we'll, unfortunate we'll, we'll, because we'll that's still wrong. We'll, we'll yeah. find a way around it here on Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast yes. about movies we saw or people we met at the Trial and Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Triline at Triline Cinema and at Triline.org and relevant to this conversation, Parasphere.org, where uh, criticism and information about the movies that are playing is posted. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Jason Daphnis. I will never die. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Sorry, we're, you... we're in the trenches on this one. I was like, oh, I yeah, have 45 yeah. more seconds. No, uh, uh, no. Two, Cody, Cody and Harry are out. So uh, yeah. it's me, Aaron. Uh, my business is devoted to the comfort and beauty of the human body. You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. <laughs> no skill issues there. Uh, and joining us once again, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have Finn back. Uh, Finn Odom, uh, you'll know her from episodes on The Thing from Another World, Diabolique, Con Air. Uh, welcome, Finn. Thank you. I am what Yodorovsky 
would imagine Harry and Cody would be in his alternate universe. And you can find me on Twitter at Finematic. Strong, strong introduction. Thank you for yes. bringing the heat as we are, of course, down to regulars. I, I I won't say why. Cody has a good reason. Harry just didn't watch the movie. I did say why. Uh, check out <laughs> he was the busy. Tra- <laughs> you know, look, I, I hate to back up my friend Harry, who I love to dunk on, but I think he's missed maybe the fewest episodes apart from you. I think, I think uh, honest, well, who is I think required honestly, to record and he's missed show. fewer probably than I have, because I know that I've yes. left like the recording device in Harry's hand before to make this happen. So all due respect and love to Harry. Uh, thank you so much for being on, Finn. Um, we will get to your specific expertise with this movie after a short uh, intermission, short interlude here from uh, Aaron, who has to give us the patented Aaron Grossman summary, which, of course, is introduced by uh, the man himself. <laughs> yes, indeed, folks. It's introduced by that sound clip. Uh, yes, we are talking about uh, The Holy Mountain, 1973 film directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, the film is a... <laughs> Sorry, I also have a cough, so we're really fucked here. Uh, the work is a work of... <laughs> Surrealism uh, depicting a group of travelers, um, but specifically focusing on uh, one known as the thief, uh, kind of a Jesus-like figure, uh, as they all follow the instructions of one known as the alchemist, played by the director Jodorowsky himself, um, as he guides them to uh, this this holy mountain, uh, specifically the top of it, um, this holy mountain kind of spoken of in, in all uh, theologies, religious ideologies, um, kind of leading them there in an attempt to gain the secret of immortality. Kind of along the way, a lot of weird things happen. We will get into it. Um, kind of a lot of background of this film that we'll probably also get into, but just real quick, it was it was largely financed by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Uh, the Beatles were big fans of Jodorowsky's previous film, El Topo. Um, this film did not exactly light the world on fire on release, uh, in terms of critical, uh, and kind of commercial success. Um, but it would later kind of go on to be considered this kind of great cult film, uh, along with some of other, uh, Jodorowsky films, uh, El Topo is kind of the other, the other big one to mention. Um, it would be kind of considered like a kind of classic midnight movie staple, really kind of hit it big with, uh, you know, uh, druggies, hippies people of that nature. Um, Finn, you also wrote an article on this uh, titled with a great title, actually, iPhones will also be sex vibrators, an ode to little freaks um, that kind of goes into the freakiness of this film and the director and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of curious what, what made you kind of want to analyze that aspect of this film? What kind of, what, what freaky aspects of this film kind of draw you to it? Yeah. So like a lot of my Parasphere essays, it started out as something completely different. Um, I read tarot and I have the Horowski. I'm not going to do it like that the whole time. Um, but it is a, it's not a hard J that's like the I actual know, pronunciation, but he has a tarot deck. That's all cats. Oh, and so I initially wanted to write about that cause I thought it'd be light and fun and a cute little wrap up for the end of the year. And then I watched it, um, knowing that I was going to be on this episode and immediately realized that somebody's going to hate it and that I can't just talk about tarot because it's a, deeply unwell movie but like in in ways that i love and part of that is because horowski was a surrealist um and he made this movie as part of the panic movement which was a really like short-lived surrealist film movement designed to make the mainstream scared of surrealism and so there are a lot of aspects of uh this movie that i talk about in my essay that i didn't talk about in my essay but still have feelings about that are like designed to make the average film goer uh, not want to engage in that form Ooh. of art. 
And the crazy thing is, part of the reason Holy Mountain wasn't successful upon release is because it didn't release for 30 years, because the producer hated it so much that he refused to release it, and Horowski had to, like, pirate copies and, like, trade it off to film pirates so was, that people could gonna, circulate his movie. I was going to say, I, I watched this on the Internet Archive, was not able mm-hmm. to catch it at the trial on. I think we're actually recording before the first uh, showing, but... And it was uploaded under the name Alejandro Yorovsky. And I was like, oh shit, was this was this his upload to the internet the archive? Because maybe you know that motherfucker is uploading yeah. movie after movie to the internet archive if he, if he has them. He's got an HDD somewhere just full of archaic films. I love the idea that like artists like him were saying, people are getting too comfortable with this whole surrealism thing. We're going to light a fire under their asses by making shit that's just pointing out how uncomfortable and terrible and weird it can be. I love that that's just a quick movement in the long history of this art form. And it like it vanished, essentially. I think it was maybe not longer than a decade. El Topo and Holy Mountain are the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa Sangre is not considered panic movement, although he did base it off of a real serial killer he met in Mexico. I remember um, reading that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that's that that film on a previous episode. We did previous episode Santa Sangre. Uh, I think Emma gave us what? What is this Spanish currency that we made fun of? She she gave us actual bills of that. You might not have been in town, Aaron. Brazilian, Uh, I think. Uh, anyway, it was real or something like that. Real, yeah. uh, It it was a a ton of fun. Um, just gotta say, like, perfect that it died out so quickly. The panic movement because otherwise people would have become comfortable and satiated with the panic movement, and they would have needed like another more incendiary version of it anyway uh aaron's had his hand up for what feels well, like ages your our shoulders got to be getting yeah that, that kind there, huh? of touches a little bit uh into kind of i guess my my cursory thoughts on the film uh is that you know i, th- I think that this film is like largely successful because you do not need to get really granular with it in order to kind of dig what it's doing i think that that um like I would say not all, but like like most great uh, surrealist works, I think that you can largely go by, uh, uh, you know, emotional reaction to any specific um, scene or visual or whatnot. I think that, you know, things like uh, seeing a couple just kind of shit and piss for like three minutes and then the next cut is them walking in like professional dress and you hear like a voiceover saying like, I am the... I am the finance minister to the president, right? Like you get what that's doing, right? Like that's not hard. Um, But at the same time, I think that like one aspect of this aspect of this film that I I don't personally like really connect with, but I kind of respect is like, you you can do the exact opposite and get like really granular with it um, in the manner that kind of Finn was talking about with like the tarot cards and whatnot. Like, um, you know, Jodorowsky is a director who is like, he really believes in this stuff. Um, and if you see like interviews with him or you read up on his life story or, and I have not done this, but I've heard it's quite good. If you listen to the director's commentary uh, for the Holy mountain, um, you know, it becomes clear that like all of the visual stimulus and, and, and like the noise in this film that you kind of, uh, you know, I think especially on a first kind of cursory watch, like kind of somewhat tune out, um, all of that is like pretty intentional and that's not to say that all of it's like the most like life-changing, like deep stuff in the world. But I do think that there are, the specifics are there if you look for them in a way that I think is like really fascinating. Like a lot of people have pointed out that, 
Um, you know, the, the basic story of this film kind of follows the fool's journey, which is, uh, you know, a reading of like tarot cards where like the fool card kind of goes on this journey of like self-enlightenment, right? Um, there are aspects of this film that like are very clearly inspired uh, by various different like religious faiths uh, and practices. And so like, it is interesting to note that like in any given scene, all of like the weird detail you catch, like is there for a reason? Um, and it works if you want to kind of search through it with like this fine tooth comb, but it also works if you just like kind of sit back and let it wash over you and are like perceptive enough. Um, and I think that like that is like pretty fascinating because I am not the kind of person to do the former. I'm usually more on the latter, but you know, I, I think the film like kind of talks the talks and kind of it backs it up in a way that is, is I think fascinating. Yeah, I find I, I'm glad you brought that up, like the dichotomy there, uh, because I find the uh, I forget if it's the former ladder that you were mentioning, but the more like digging into specifics, I find that a lot less rewarding with this movie. Um, I tend to probably just because of this podcast, honestly, and hearing very like in-depth opinions and touching on cultural criticism that I can't really, uh, you know, bring myself to suss up or whatever, like feeling a little bit inadequate sometimes about movies I and end up watching movies and thinking i'm just not getting this i'm not like seeing the whole for its parts or the parts for its whole or whatever i feel like i'm misunderstanding it if i don't like it in this case there are like it is it for all of its strangeness it is um remarkably like straightforward in concept it's pretty much hero's journey the thief has this like repressed urge to find a spiritual fulfillment enlightenment um he accepts the call of a guide who can get him there uh the the fellowship grows he like is sort of at the last moment um, shown that like his, uh, you know, the very, the veil is pierced on his, uh, on his journey of enlightenment. And, you know, we sort of all go forward into, unto like our own lives to discover it for ourselves kind of thing. There's fun stuff at the end there, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about um, regarding the form and specifically what Yodorovsky is trying to do with, with like his fourth wall breaking at the end. Um, but like, it's, I, I don't know that that's as, it's as rewarding to dig into the, like, Oh, following the journey of like the, the, uh, is, is there side note, is there a, um, yeah. an adjective form of the, of the word tarot Finn is a tarotic? It's ter I think it's just tarot. Um, okay. I will interrupt you and say that the planets, at least in the major arcana, there's not like a one-to-one, -one. Which was the thing that kind of prevented me from doing a tarot essay in the first place, is you have the fool, and I would argue um, Hodorowsky's character as the alchemist is the emperor, but the rest of them were like astronomical references mm. and not so much like the devil or yeah, right. the hanged man. Mm -hmm. um, but he does have that line, like the tarot is the window to the soul, which, if anything, that's a thing that stuck out to me as out of place because mm -hmm. he. I mean, I don't need him to expand. There's already so much in this movie that I personally enjoy digging into. Um, mm -hmm. But that that one point did feel kind of... I would have liked to see a bit more symbolism selfishly. But mm -hmm. there comes a point where you have to ask, like, is it your selfish need to have it expanded upon or should it have been expanded upon? You know Exactly. And that's sort of where I got caught with a lot of these like individual things no. digging. How deep do I go before it's just like, am I, am I getting anything out of that? Or is it just like he left a breadcrumb and I want to get a hold to the whole loaf, you know, like, is there a loaf to find? Um, I think there's like my, my, I guess my response to that would be like, I think there's even more loaves to find. Right. Like I think like the presence of, you know, kind of uh, planetary metaphors for me, it doesn't so much like kill 
that you're reading Finn as much as it is like he's also doing all this other shit. Like Jodorowsky to me, like I don't know the guy, but to me he seems like he's he's very much like somebody willing to kind of just like draw inspiration from all sorts of practices in a way. Um, I, I didn't know this before, but doing research for this, I learned that he is uh, uh, like, like David Lynch, another uh, another big fan of uh, transcendental meditation, which is like, uh, you know, I feel like tr- transcendental meditation uh, seems to have a very, very big hit rate with directors, like a weirdly statistically accurate something about like being just a weird ass film director uh, means that you want to like just, you know, spend eight hours a day meditating. Um, I don't know what that means, but I, there's something there, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it made me think of like, I forget what else referenced it, but um, there was another work referenced where that mountain of, you know, whatever the ascent to spiritual enlightenment as it's like exemplified throughout this movie uh, is, you know, universal. It crosses religious boundaries. It crosses um, uh, just the symbology of like scaling a peak to get closer to God kind of thing. And there was one work and i forget which one it was but they described it as a mountain that can't that cannot not exist and it's just like oh that interior journey like the fact that the pursuit is there means that the that the mountain is always like symbolically there it's always like the lord of the rings thing are you talking about terry pratchett terry Terry pratchett talking about the lord of the rings as a mountain and fantasy literature and saying that even if you even if you do not mention the mountain you are still mentioning the mountain due to the absence of the mention that's of the sound, mountain that sounds pretty cool you cannot cool write to a find... work of fantasy without uh, without owing something to lord of the rings that's fair uh, yeah, I, I love i love that tie as well i it's don't good, think the thing i was referencing bit. it is a good bit um but that uh, like the the I, I would imagine that that like that that's one of the things that yodorovsky put in from himself probably is like from his own like interior excuse me interior journey toward some kind of self uh, enrichment, some sort of like spiritual enlightenment is that like, if I'm considering it, if I'm pursuing it, if like, if it's a, if it's a constant drive within just humans that feel connected to some spiritual like element of existence, then it's like, then that, uh, that, that concept exists. Therefore the mountain really exists. Uh, not that that's like a really rich vein of discussion here, just to like sort of spin off of the transcendental medicine meditation thing. It's like how much how much of like his own relationship to spirituality appears in this movie. I, I would question that up and down because it's so cynical about so many parts of it. Um, but I guess it's like, how much is he trying to raise for, uh, you know, we'll say shock value for lack of a better term in this conversation, but how much is he raising just to get that sort of panic response? And how much is he raising to like be a, a real thought provoking head scratching, uh, you know, a provocateur moment. Right. Well, like thinking about the cynicism of it and the holy mountain, I I found myself asking who gets to climb the mountain in the end, because you have for the few of you who are listening and have not seen this movie for some reason, uh, there's the fool who is the primary character, the alchemist and his bald assistant, um, and then the like seven pl- people representing planets, and all of these people outside of the fool are powerful. They have like mm-hmm. material power. They have financial power. They have the power to express themselves in ways that are non-traditional for the 1970s. Um, you can hear more about that in my essay or later in this episode. Who knows? But at the end, the only one who doesn't get to ascend the mountain is the fool. And so we could see that as the hero's journey. But I don't think he changes at all throughout the film. He physically changes his appearance. But he he is not the character who goes through all of these mm-hmm. fears and 
psychedelic experiences. There's a whole sequence where the planets, the people who are representing the planets, have their fears represented physically. There's a guy who's banging on a drum animalistically. There's sex. There's an animal of some kind that I'm not remembering. There's a live tiger. But all of that is focused on these people who are ascending the mountain for power. And they're doing it for power and wealth. And they get to continue to the top. And right. as much as this is, I mean, the trailer that keeps playing with the trial and keeps calling it sacrilegious, I don't know if I'd say that as much as it's saying, like, if you have power, you can climb the mountain. But what's at the top of the mountain? Exactly. Do you even get like, anything if you have power and climb the top of the mountain? Mm-hmm. Aaron I, has something I, to say. I'm curious. I'm curious about like the sac. So I didn't. I didn't. Is that from like the trialons, like the the, the web page for this film specifically, or it's the like distributor like trailer? Um, banging song drop in this trailer. I think it's a song that's actually in the movie too. But at like one of the big kicks, it's a sacrilegious in large letters. Um, really, and I like personally don't know how much I believe that. I mean, I guess uh, I, maybe there's a the question there about who determines uh, the sacrilegious nature, uh, the Pope or someone, I guess. Uh, probably not the person who makes it. But, I, I, you know, I, I, I think this is also like a, you know, this is like a, I'm kind of of two minds about it because it, it is like satirical and goofy in a way that uh, I'm, I guess I'm going to, to bring up right after I make this point because I, I do want to talk about it. But like, this is also like, I think, a, just a pretty like straight spiritual film. Like, th- I think... I think this film is like very clearly like a a a uh, representation of Jodorowsky's like religious and spiritual beliefs, and specifically reading into the ending, I think like a plea to apply uh, uh you know those beliefs to like the real world essentially, um and and so like I think there are elements of this film that are like disturbing or dark or. I think for me personally, I could have done without some of the animals getting blown up. Uh, but like, I do think it is like a spiritual film. I don't think it, I don't think that the satirical nature of it or like the, the more kind of comedic aspects are the point so much as it is like an attempt to like shed away uh, the elements of spirituality or religion that, that may, um, mm-hmm. you know, be kind of facile or like a negative impact on the world. Essentially, it's um, it's 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 basically Yodorovsky going to the door of the Catholic Church and nailing the like ninety six theses. Well, right? yeah, like and all the other churches too, and all the other religious buildings and kind right, of right, right. But you know, I, this is something that I think Finn, you pointed out like very, I think like aptly in in your your essay, uh, which is like you know that this film was like full of um, at the time like very topical references to like political events and whatnot. Um, and, and you, you mentioned like specifically like stereotypes of South Americans, uh, you know, Jodorowsky was a Chilean. Um, this film kind of has a lot of those kind of elements in this film, like very like satirically, like, you know, making fun of the United States is in here a bunch, but also like contemporary politics. Um, you know, there's like that sort of stuff just kind of like sprinkled throughout here in a way that like, you can dig into, but it's maybe not like necessary for you to enjoy the film. I would say. Yeah. Horoski was a, I'm going to, you're going to see where this is going. He was a Ukrainian man born in Chile and he was also Jewish. And yeah. so I think it's weird cocktail there. Really interesting <laughs> to like that. You're positioning this as like, he's going to the door of Catholicism. He's going, cause he is, but he's a Jewish man. 
And so it kind of goes back to the idea of how he's borrowing from different spiritualities and he's kind of taking into account, you know, the Christian beliefs, but also maybe his own personal beliefs, spiritual beliefs that are, I guess, pagan would be what you would call the tarot cards. Um, do we want to talk about the ending? Because I, I have thoughts, but I also feel like you have to know the ending almost killed him. Which I, uh, I, I let's. Yeah, Let, let's put a quick pause. Mm-hmm. Table that, one thing that I intended. Okay. One thing. One thing that I that I, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I just wasn't paying attention or what, but the we, we've spoken about the planets. I'm not going to remember the name. Fawn and I. The, the I names just call them the, the planets. The planets. Yeah. Uh, aligned roughly to uh, the you know actual celestial bodies and sort of like. I've read some analysis that say there are on you know a spectrum of the positive and negative traits associated with these planets in mythology and astrology um, that these are characters that exemplify specifically negative traits uh, the you know the um, uh, weapons manufacturer the the toy maker who encourages uh, state endorsed violence and you know the 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 bean counter who advocates for the uh, murder of millions to account for you know the, to balance the books kind of person. So all of these characters are known to be basically, I'm not going to say sinful because that too, I think applies way too like directly religious and a uh, connotation, but um, in, in a, to a degree evil, like these darker sides of man's, you know, the, the darkest corners of man's heart kind of thing, just a, a personification of those. Um, the point that I'm getting to with this is like, those characters are all revered, respected, feared. They're successful in their own vignettes that they get in their own place wherever they are if they're on different planets or different realms of earth or whatever and then when they join the alchemist and the thief and the alchemist's um bald naked right hand uh henchman they are they throw away their earthly uh you know they they literally they burn money they burn effigies of themselves and they give it all up to become uh you know acolytes to follow to pursue spiritual enlightenment did i miss something where where in that did they like flip that why why is that like why am i following these known uh bastardous kind of like evil people toward their spirit their you know hopefully their uh their achievement of, of spiritual enlightenment was that i feel like you were uh, sort of touching on that earlier finn where it's like who who actually got to the, the powerful ones here got to the ones who didn't have to climb through the ranks of you know, society, different castes to get to where they are. They're the ones who got to succeed and they got kind of nothing for it. They got a little bit shafted, but was there actually like a story element that I missed there? Or is it just implied that these are your new cohorts? These are the ones following you and leading you on this journey. Like, did I miss something there? Well, we can get granular, which you two have already opted out of potentially. Um, I think that they're just intended to be like the accompaniment for him but in some way they are the opposite of what he is and what he's representing and the people he's coming from and the girl with the chimpanzee. Uh, because at the end they ascend and then they get nothing. Literally they, they get nothing and they have gone through in some sort of cosmic punishment for throwing out all of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, one could say that that's why they're there. It's because sure the powerful and the corrupt get to ascend, but do they really um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the like an inversion of the meek shall inherit the earth kind of thing yeah. like these very powerful very respected very feared people 
inherit nothing except like what they should have learned over the course of the journey, which mm-hmm. is that it was all kind of meaningless that the, the, your reality surrounds you and mm-hmm. is waiting for you kind of message. Is, I, does that line up with what you were thinking, Aaron? I, I may have a, I think a less, uh, I, won't, I may have a, a more a optimistic of reading. Take. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily know that I read. Um, let me th- I don't, I don't think I, I read the ending in that manner. I don't, I don't think that, that these characters are like, tricked in a manner per se i think that this like for me like i think that the purpose of these characters is like you know i I think that they line up with a a pretty um you know kind of common uh uh you know religious uh type of story about like you know people who are flawed who who kind of you know talking about it in specifically like a christian sense but like repent or or kind of make good on uh uh you know who they've been in the past right um, I think that that's kind of of what those characters uh, are doing. Uh, you know, I've I've read certain uh, interpretations of the film where you know those seven characters represent like the seven deadly sins, and like each of them kind of you know lines up in that manner. Um, and then you know, I, I think you you can maybe get a little more specific, but I think that like in broad strokes, like I think these characters are um, you know generally different from each other they are flawed in different ways they each face like a different form of you know torture and whatnot before they finally reach the mountain um and i think it it is you know yeah it it is them kind of like overcoming that in a sense in order to reach this kind of Hmm. higher plane that's my reading um but like i don't think any any of it's definitive per se yeah i would say yeah i mean obviously not ours either but i guess my take on like the reason that i believe more toward what Finn and I were talking about than, than your take is like, there's just such, and I hate to come back to the concept of cynicism, but there's such like poking at all of these concepts. Like clearly these are people who are your kind of uh, people, quote unquote, who you're kind of waiting for a certain degree of comeuppance for, especially in their introductions where, you know, the guy shitting and then he's in a nice suit and he's reading, he tells somebody to, you know, um, it's like exterminate, like exterminate the gas towns and the gas restaurants or whatever that little diatribe that the guy goes through when he gets on the phone. All the I gas mean, like, schools pre- and the gas malls yeah, pretty, and the gas. Pretty good bits, honestly, individually. Again, if we wanted to talk about like breadcrumbs and where you want to get granular, pretty good bits within these things. But I think all of them were like sort of that wry, <laughs> like you see where this person's fatal flaw is and it's, you know, their attachment to human sexuality uh, to an unhealthy degree. Maybe it's either, the, you know, they're like quote unquote deviancy in the eyes of whatever sort of moral lens uh, is being applied to them by the audience. There's uh, obviously like the weapons manufacturers and and war profiteers. It's, you know, these characters that I don't think I was able to see as like, they've sort of shed their earthly concerns and they are now driving towards spiritual enlightenment and sublimation of the self. It's more that like, Oh, they, they think that they can achieve this thing. I think that's why Finn's reading takes uh, such root in my mind is like, I I think like, yeah, I I do appreciate the idea that they kind of get shafted on the whole, deal you know that they think they're headed for something better that they are so good for having given up their uh earthly possessions and desires and now here they are you know stuck at the top of a mountain with a freak who's shaved his head for his own movie and telling the guys hey you know remove the cameras and life is waiting to be lived and you know but do you do you think that final message is like a a cynical one or like a joke or something or do you think that it's well it's you know heartfelt i'm gonna deflect uh under the guise of turning the tables and 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 Actually, Jason, I, both, both of your hands are up, no, so I don't want to cut off any discussion points. But Finn, is this a good place to turn toward your to discussion Jason's of the point ending? about them thinking that they're good people for setting aside their money and burning their effigies? What do they say to the fool? 
what do they say to him when he brings out like they say oh you have so little like look at what he's putting away oh, he's yeah. burning they everything laugh, he has they laugh at him because he's got like two dollar bills exactly yeah. like they totally think that they are ascending to a higher power they can just get more right that um Hodorowsky's wife who is the woman who makes toys that make children hate peru um fun fact he always casts his family <laughs> in these movies in like the craziest roles his sons um, yes are all yeah. over every single one of his movies that's <laughs> crazy yeah but like her whole thing is that she trains children to want to attack other countries she can get mo- her her plant didn't shut down were to, she to achieve immortality she could have come back um but yes mm-hmm. to talk about the end of the film when he pushes back and the ca- it zooms out and the cameras are all there he's seeing everything and he's telling people like you have to seek further we aren't a film you're this you are not going to achieve this within the four walls of this film it's really interesting to me and again jason and i were talking about this off camera Horowski like lied a lot about <laughs> his productions crazy man i'm obsessed with him um but in this interview where the, the iPhones will soon be sex vibrators line comes from, he says that he had a different ending for the film, and then the conditions on the mountain were so bad that he got knocked off and he almost died. <laughs> and it was that him saving himself with a pick in the mountain that made you need him to decide, read that as a, fuck yeah. <laughs> it, I have to change this movie. Insane behavior. And I don't know if that's true. Because he, yeah, he again, be, yeah. He's a he said that he didn't take drugs. He said he hates drugs. And there are lots of reports of people, well specifically him, taking drugs. drugs. Yeah. Yes, wild dude. Um, but so that's that's when I think about the end date of like, is it really saying we have to push further? Is it a punishment? I'm already questioning the author's intention and the information I'm getting from the author. So I don't know entirely, but I don't think I need to know because th- they didn't figure it out. Yeah, and I'm thinking. I- Personally, I'm thinking so much about the rest of the movie that perhaps I don't need an answer. I, I think my uh, my my read on the end of the film is, is I think kind of tied to how I'd re- respond to some of you know Finn and Jason how how you're both kind of uh, characterizing some parts earlier in the film where like I I don't think this is a film that like really at least for me like works narratively in that manner like I kind of don't think like the characters are characters or people or even have motivations kind of outside of like the specific scene. Like I think these characters exist to work symbolically and other than that, like kind of don't like I, I, you know, not to, this may sound like kind of a rude thing to say, but like, I don't know how much like Jodorowsky was like concerned with like the performances his actors were giving per se. Like there's a lot of moments in this film where it's like, you know, if this was like, Spielberg or someone, he'd probably go for another take. But like, I think Jodorowsky is like concerned with the visual symbolism of what is happening in any given scene. And like pretty much everything kind of takes backseat to that, in my opinion. Um, and so when I think about characters like the, you know, his wife who, who kind of, you know, works in that uh, uh, factory to make like war toys for little children, like, um, you know, I think that like that serves its its symbolic purpose in the moment and then kind of ceases to do so outside of that scene in a weird way. Um, and so my, my like kind of ultimate reading on the ending is I think it's like a, basically an argument for, um, I guess, I guess praxis, uh, which is usually, usually just a term concerned with like, you know, uh, uh, political philosophy, uh, but like whatever the thematic, uh, uh, like theological, 
uh, a term for praxis. I think it, it, essentially it's a, the end of this film is saying, you know, uh, uh, a spiritual journey contained to a film is not a spiritual journey, right? Like th- these kind of uh, uh, lessons that are contained within the, the four walls of this camera do not actually do anything until you yourself, you know, the audience, the viewer uh, applies anything that you learned from this film uh, to your own life, right? Like if this does not change how you think about, um, you know, money, uh, how you think about politics, uh, how you think about like how those things interact with uh, your own sense of spirituality, then like, what is the point of watching this film? I guess that's kind of my reading. Um, But I have also, you know, I think that's my reading, but I think I have also read like pretty cynical takes on the ending of this film where it's like kind of inherently nihilistic that like seem believable enough. I don't know if I agree with them, but like, I I think it's, you know, purposefully open-ended enough to where you're kind of supposed to bring whatever you want to your own interpretation. And, and it kind of can fit into whatever mold that is in a weird way. I definitely agree that it's, this is the kind of movie where you can bring your own interpretation to it. Um, and I feel like in some ways I'm ping-ponging between saying this is the greatest movie I've ever made and saying, no, this movie sucks. Um, because he got just people off the street. He didn't care about the performances. He did get an, a neo-Nazi to be in this movie. Um, Wait, who's the neo-Nazi? <laughs> oh, I don't, cop? I don't think it's... I think it's a cop, but it's not like... Oh, that makes sense. One of yeah. the planets. <laughs> it's just a, a cop in this movie. Um your point, Aaron, just makes me think about the panic movement itself and what the purpose of this film is. Um, because was the purpose, I mean, he had a purpose. We can get to the end. It's cynical, it's nihilistic, maybe it's punishing the corrupt, but but you're having a negative reaction to this film, which is not bad in any means. Um, it just makes me think about like what what was Hodorowsky's point in general. Was it to create a surrealist masterpiece? Was it to create a spiritual journey through a film that is not a spiritual journey? Was it to make people upset and uncomfortable? Mm. Or was it to just make people question what they're thinking? And we don't know because, again, he lies a lot. Um, But I just think back to like this and El Topo and the other films of the panic movement and their point to push people away from surrealism, which maybe posits the question, was this too surreal? I don't know. Yeah, or, like, not even, to be honest, like, my, my kind of, like, take, not now, like, once I'm done watching the movie, but, like, the, the act of watching this movie for me was, like, pretty weird because I have heard about this film, like, so it's, like, mentioned as, like, one of those fucking, like, weird-ass movies. You see yeah. it at midnight, you smoke some weed, you have a weird time. Um, And I think that, like, a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of, visual stuff that you know about this film going into it, or at least I I did um, was not like representative of the whole in a weird way. And that like, I think there are scenes of this movie that are very kind of stereotypically like Jodorowsky, like what you'd picture just from like, you know, fucking gifts on Twitter or whatever. But like, there's a lot of this movie that's like mostly comparable for me for like, for like Monty Python and stuff. Like there's a lot of like very, comedic um uh, sequences that are certainly kind of trippy and weird but there are other sequences that are kind of just more directly like satire or parody um in a way that i find like kind of interesting um and i think in the moment i was a little put off by it because i was expecting it all just to be you know weirdly symmetrical sets 
you know, vibrant color, people being shaved on their heads, you know, all throughout the thing, uh, all sorts of nudity. And like that stuff is in the film, but there's also like a lot of other stuff where, you know, a woman like pleases a, a vagina robot, you know, with a big long tube that she sticks into it, you know, and it's like, and then there's like a little baby robot that pops out afterwards. And like that stuff is, mm-hmm. is pretty funny. Um, a lot of it is very blatantly, uh, uh, political and like, you know, what it's making fun of. Um, and I don't know. I've, I've heard a lot of criticisms of this film saying like they're, they're especially in the middle, like kind of the middle act is like maybe too funny, <laughs> right. In a way that maybe takes away from it. I don't know if I agree with that per se. I think like all that stuff is very clearly like criticizing, um, you know, representations of religion in, in kind of, uh, you know, the modern era that are, are quite cynical or, or negative, right? Um, the, the use of, you know, the, the Jesus figure has a cast of himself and then makes a lot of plaster Jesuses that get kind of passed out and, you know, eaten and broken apart and whatnot. Um, so a lot of that seems like kind of obvious, but like, I do think that like it, it works for me in a way that maybe it doesn't for everyone, but like, I, I dig it, I guess. Yeah. And it like, I too felt that it wasn't as intangible maybe as I had been led to believe this movie again, like I I first heard about it in college before I was really watching movies with any kind of intent. And even then I was like, Oh, this, this has got to be kind of a trip. This is going to be a lot to get my head around. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of visual stimulus Finn, You were saying there's just like, there's a lot that goes on. There's just a lot of shit constantly. One of my notes from when I was watching it was like, what am I meant to take from all this? It's just like too many. It's one too many things. It's constant. It's like, you have flayed goats in the Christ pose walked through town as, you know, uh, American tourists sort of like crawl toward it like Mecca. And then you have, but I mean, uh, wait, you know, wait, hold the, up. Let me pause toads. you. Can I pause you real? Can I interrupt very rudely? I must say, uh, can I, Indeed. like you get what that's saying though, right? Yes. Like yes, you're so saying, what I'm is this not, going I'm towards? Like, going, I'm not yeah. saying like it's going over my head. I'm asking like, is that in that moment? Is it contained? Is sure. that like, yes, again, because, because I watch these movies and I think, is it saying something? I'm, 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 I turned into an asshole about it, but by the end of the movie, I think I evened out about it. In that moment, is this like, is this a contained thing that he's doing? Jason's or is this a thing that ties with a pinky, just a pinky sipping his little seltzer shot. water afterwards? Uh, <laughs> but like, in, am I supposed to take anything from, I guess, rather than the excess, the culmination of excess, maybe we'll, we'll say like, I keep, I kept thinking of, um, you met, you brought up uh, Monty Python and that's, I think like the constant, uh, left turns in that is obviously used just for comedic effect. Like permanence means nothing in those movies. We we don't need like c- uh, continuity. The whole point is built from sketch comedy, right? In this, it feels like we're using more of a narrative form. We have like a single p- driving plot and we're maybe going toward a point, but there are so many little like tiny cilia of points, little, little tiny routes that we could take to understand it. I guess we've, we're coming back to that idea of like granularity and breadcrumbs versus like a holistic loaf to start chewing on um but like i guess i never even said the thing that made me think of was fantastic planet we talked about that movie early on in this podcast years ago now uh funny enough same year of release as this movie um but it like had such a provenance for me of this is going to be a a lot to get your head around even if you enjoy animation you should really watch this because it's like it's so otherworldly and it's like yeah these guys kind of look like dr seuss characters with Monty Python shading, but there's nothing that like crazy going on here, not visually or narratively. And in this movie, by the end of it, I was like, well, there's nothing that going on that 
visually or narratively crazy in the moment, like obviously a great understanding of image and of like what's going to make a great impact on the viewer. I can think of distinct shots from this movie that will stick with me for a long time for both their like in technical impressiveness, excuse me, technical impressiveness and like just the forethought to imagine how scenes were going to lead to one another, uh, how shots were going to lead to one another. It's a great sense of juxtaposition sometimes, uh, but that felt like more of master of craft than, uh, you know, all encompassing storyteller narrative device type stuff. Uh, and I don't know why I need to separate those in my brain, but when I do, it doesn't like those things don't mesh as cleanly. It just becomes, uh, again, like consider this in the moment, the white American tourists bowing to the flayed goats and then something completely different for lack of my, my apologies, no pun intended, something completely different happening in the next moment. And like moment to moment that shook me, I will say as a whole, it went down a little bit easier as a watching experience. Um, but that was like the dichotomy here for me of like, what was, uh, it was their purpose to these things. And if they were, did they interlink with other purposes or was it sort of like set dressing and, you know, sort of the beautiful machinations of a drug addled mind, which I can totally dig and accept, but I been led to believe it's more like there's some real high minded concept shit here, man. And then you watch it and it's like, that's pretty, that's pretty fucking weird. Uh, good but it's just pretty it's just pretty weird you know um maybe i'm splitting hairs maybe i'm not making a whole lot of sense does that make any sense at all finn it does and i'm gonna do a thing that i hate um but the 70s were a different time right Um, yeah you're telling me man i was thinking about this um my essay went through like several drafts and one of the things that my delightful co-editor olga pointed out um was when i was talking about gender uh it's I was talking about gender like it was this big transgressive thing. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, I know many lesbians with shaved heads. I don't know many lesbians who are weapons manufacturers who have shaved heads. But they're on the- Twitter. They're, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, you're just saying people are calling them out on Twitter pretty frequently. <laughs> but there are things that were probably more transgressive and more crazy at that time. And we're, we're not going to know. Um, I personally like this film works for me in a lot of ways in that I love asking why I love asking what's the point the point of my essay. I love people who are fucking weird and little freaks make, yeah, little freaks that make you ask the questions. Um, so I don't, I don't know to if any of it makes sense. I'm going to keep ping ponging to the, like, there might be a point. There is a point. I have a point. Aaron has a point. You have a point. I don't know. And that's the beauty of art. Like, it is what you make of it. And for a movie like this, that is literally, I feel like it's three different movies in one sometimes. When you look at the three acts and how there's an entire second act that's just character intros like the shitty Suicide Squad movie. And then they all go (laughs) on a journey and you almost think that that first act in the unnamed Mexican city has nothing to do with the rest of it. But then the sex worker with the chimpanzee, who's been following the fool the whole time, comes back and you, you think, oh these are all separate plots that come together in that the first act is the world he came from. The second act is the, the world of the people around him. And the third act is all of those people trying to ascend the mountain and their differing journeys and their differing ascents. And it might not make sense. And Horoski, Oh my God. If Alejandro Horoski listened to this podcast, I'm so sorry. You had to listen to this episode of try love or try love in general, but he might disagree with me and that'd be totally fine. He listened to our Hi Mom episode. 
really, really dug it. <laughs> An episode I had a little bit of beef with, mind you, but go on, Eric. Well, I was I was actually going to uh, reference it because I, I, I think that, like, one thing I talked about on that episode that I think is somewhat pertinent to, like, this film as well is I think that, you know, if, if there is one criticism of, of, well, there's a lot of criticisms you can make of this film, uh, but, but if you had, like, if you had the criticism, that, like, I think, you know, certain aspects of this maybe have aged a little poorly. Uh, I mean, I, I reference like the, you know, all the frogs getting blown up. But I think like, you know, there are certain uh, points that, that that the director is making here that that come off as maybe a little like obvious now. Like, I think, frankly, like the, the shaved heads is probably a good one. We're like, Finn, you said it like, I know like six people who have shaved heads. It's not a big deal these days, right? Like the, the idea of like a, a woman not getting her makeup washed off and shaving her head. What? You know, like that is like in 2023, like, duh, you know what I mean? But like, you know, 1973, that kind of statement against, you know, kind of beauty standards and whatnot may come off like a bit more radical in a way. Uh, So I'm like kind of willing to, you know, I'm fine with that, I guess. Um, But I, you know, there is stuff in this film. I think that like, you know, when you're making a film like this that is doing as much as it is doing uh, and is, you know, remarking on, uh, at, you know, again, at the time, like topical notions of religion and faith and how those intersect with like pop culture in in like, you know, political movements and whatnot. Like, I think some of that will kind of age interestingly. Um, I think this movie like mostly kind of holds up in that regard, which I think is is kind of a testament to it being, I think a, mm-hmm. a good film, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there are parts that are for all as much as we were saying, like the certain references are very timely, like the politics of the moment, uh, the, uh, social presentation, uh, of the moment, as much as those do like sort of date this movie, there are parts of it that are timeless, right? Uh, like that sort of transcended the, the politics of the time that sort of like speak more broadly to, uh, humanitarian excuse me um like societal trends that were that continued that you know fortunately or unfortunately have we've continued to struggle with all that kind of stuff um and it's just interesting to point to note like where does it hold up uh i know for me it was visually it's you know you i, I feel like i could watch it feels like an asshole thing to say, but I feel like I could watch this movie without the dialogue and still quite enjoy what I'm like literally just seeing. Yeah. Um, sure. I, and I, I wanted to ask y'all about like, if there's a point of this movie that doesn't feel like, Oh, you know, it, it doesn't hit like it used, like it did 50 years ago or whatever. What are the more like timeless, impressive parts of this movie? How, what are you going to remember for, uh, you know, 50 years from now? Uh, Finn, is it just going to be the, the fact that he was lying about being on the mountaintop or whatever? I there's a lot that would stick with me for a while, um, but we're, we talk all about like oh but it's not that weird it's just silly, and the thing that immediately stuck out to me was the lizards and the toads fighting as Aztec mm-hmm. warriors and conquistadors, and how just objectively strange and silly that was. Not weird, maybe gruesome and not great for animal rights activists i'm not encouraging this but i think that's (laughs) that's gonna stick out to me as like the encapsulating moment of this film because it's weird and it's kind of gross and it may not hold up and it's silly and that's what surrealism is to me so Mm -hmm. that that Mm -hmm. sequence 
Dope. Aaron? Uh, I think that, that it, you know, in general, I, I think one should kind of uh, uh, be a little skeptical of just being kind of won over by, by you know, pure spectacle uh, in budget and weirdness and you know, sprawling. I, do, I disagree. Uh, That's where I enjoy this movie the I, most. I think you should be you should be skeptical of it, but I think that it it, it does work in this film, right? Um, I think this is a a big movie that's <laughs> doing a whole lot of stuff, and a lot of that stuff is different from what you saw thirty seconds previously. Um, and uh, you know, I think it it does all kind of add up to a you know cohesive whole. But I think like you know, part of the reason that this was like such a big cult film, midnight movie. Uh, outside of, you know, all, doing all the drugs that they were doing at that time is because this is like an enjoyable movie to watch. And if you like if you really don't like what you're watching, you need to wait about 50 seconds and then you'll be watching something different. And I think that, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe not like a intelligent point, uh, but I think it is like kind of a true one to the nature of watching films and specifically watching surreal films, uh, uh, you know, like this one. Um, I think this is an enjoyable film that is pretty unique uh in that manner and so it will it will always you know have an audience it will always be that weird midnight movie the movie that people talk about on you know the depths of reddit or on film twitter or whatever because it's just one of those and if you like the holy mountain there's like five or six other movies that are kind of similar but but it's 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 mostly the holy mountain you know so uh Mm -hmm. i i would i would love to watch this in a movie theater uh so I don't know. Did, was it's the on thirty five too? Doing? It was on thirty five. Oh it, yeah. man, maybe maybe yeah. they'll pass it over to the the music box or something at some point. I would that would be a that would be one I would make time for. Yes, you just got to start the competing music box music box podcast uh, to just get in good with it. What if they send me a CD immediately? Like immediate, like not even <laughs> like episode one point two. You know what I mean? And they're just like no. no. No, we don't fuck around like the trial does, buddy. <laughs> this is Chicago, man. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Uh, okay, well, thanks, guys, for uh, the wonderful discussion we've had so far. I do want to start to exunt into our final segments of the show, being we're going to start with uh, uh, the junk drawer. Um, I will open it up properly. Shuffle, shuffle. Uh, for any lingering thoughts, any uh, shout outs, stuff that didn't make it into any of your larger points. Uh, we'll start with Finn. What uh, What's still rattling around with that brain of yours? I did like a lot of reading of interviews with him and reports about the movie and whatever. Not as much analysis, maybe, because I wanted to have my own in some ways. Uh, but the thing that I didn't get to mention that I think is very silly, uh, George Harrison was going to be the thief. He was like all set. He was all on board. He wouldn't shit on screen. He refused what? to. That was the thing that got him. <laughs> which you can have a whole discussion in in itself about like what is the actor doing versus what the movie's doing like would you want to be in a movie that's killing children or is it just drawing a line and shitting in a bowl you Mm -hmm. know i mean he to be fair to like he was a beetle and there is straight up a scene in this movie where the thief gets just his asshole just fucking somebody's hand just cleans that shit out real good and like i get it I get it. What do you what do you want to you want to you want newspaper reporters coming up to you asking you about that when you're, you know, flying uh, through Midway? No, I you mean, don't. I, I don't know. I don't know that the man had much shame. One, he felt like he transcended existence a few times in his like 30 years of life. And two, he recorded a music video for my it got my mind set on you, uh, which if you've ever seen it is 
maybe a, a touch more embarrassing to watch in 2023 than even uh, some of the more questionable moments in the Holy Mountain. Uh, it is it's a ton of fun to imagine the Beatles connection to this. Uh, John and Yoko ponying up hundreds of thousands for this thing to come out and never get seen, like lose every single their, time. Their, ever. their producer, uh, do I still have it up? I fucking don't. Their producer, they're, they're like big Alan film. Klein. Alan Klein was, yeah. uh, he was like the guy who buried this film. Like they were, you know, John, John and Yoko were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll finance your shit, dude. Like, do whatever you want. Fucking go wild. And then, you know, he went wild and they were like, you know, Alan Klein was like, no, we are going to, no. Uh, fuck you <laughs> and it was shut up 30 years off. i buried this yeah. film <laughs> just like was he it, personally was like no i'm not releasing this anywhere ever what okay so he was their producer do we think it was just because like he didn't want it reflecting on the beatles that this anus cleaning I, probably mountain, yeah i mean like, movie I, it got a it got a big you know like it did it did it did not get like full screenings but it did li- limited screenings right. and festival circuits and whatnot and it uh yeah i think people were upset <laughs> Yes. That is that is so fucking funny that the reason nobody saw this movie for 25 years was because it was a Beatles. Also, like, why it got made, reverse though, PR right? Stuff. So, like, the, yeah, the, true. The, the circle of all things, you know. That's, like the hand of the feeds. If only there was a film you, that yeah. might help me uh, flesh out my ideas on that sort of philosophy. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe in the next episode of Trial Love. Well, thanks then, y'all, for uh, your thoughts. And, oh, my, my thoughts on the, from the junk drawer. One, there's this band I used to listen to in high school and college. Really liked them. They're this, like, poppy prog rock thing from melbourne uh they're called closure in moscow yeah i don't know they were on the cover of ap magazine one time after i had started listening to them i was cool at the time uh and they had an album called pink lemonade in like 2013 15 something like that where um they like the cover of this album aped directly from the alchemist in this movie Uh, it's, it's like the imagery throughout the album and like the concept of it is very heavily inspired by the holy mountain and some other like more occult teachings etc uh but that is like alongside the image of the of, of the alchemist up up in the up in his tower is this album cover in my head every time that I imagine them so inseparably uh connected maybe elevating my opinion of one or the other we'll see in the long term maybe 50 years from now check in and secondarily which of those fucking religious guns one of those god guns would you rather be shot with least because like the buddha one oh, not that I have any particular attachment uh, to or away from uh buddhism but like being blasted by the buddha gat just sounds like was that like, an actual gun? That kind of seemed like more of like a metaphysical. Like the other ones were like fucking guns. You know what I mean? They like had fucking bullets cross in them, gun, yeah. Badass. That's straight out like fucking blade. You know what I mean? That was a that's Constantine like a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. That's Constantine. Probably a better joke for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but so the Buddha one you're imagining was like, uh, you know, peace and love rays. Well, or the opposite. Yeah. Bad vibes. You know, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> the inversion, I guess. But. Yeah, I thought I thought the cross gun was the coolest. That's the one I'd want to have myself. Like those two of those, cool. those cool. you know what I mean? No, no yep. problem. Well, there's only one uh, way to the father, and it's through his son. So I don't know why you would have two of those things. Um, okay, thank y'all for uh, helping me clear out the junk drawer here. But uh, we put it away, and there's just a bunch more shit that got thrown in there just before we closed it. We'll have to clear it out next time on another episode of Try Love. Uh, I came up with a little bit a few weeks ago that I really like doing. I don't know if anybody actually enjoys listening to it, but a little trip down memory lane that I like to call Other Loves We've Tried. It's playing off the name of the podcast, Try Love. You can find us on Twitter, Try Love Podcast. Uh, but the movies that we've covered from 1973. To the other Rich, tries Rich, I've loved Richie. before. That is a better name for that bit. It's a longer That's name a better for name. the bit. 
Well, one thing you're right about is that it's you're longer. You're already extending the episode by 37 minutes with all these bits. You might as well fucking. <laughs> it's yeah. for now. It's called other loves we've tried. Maybe uh, loves we've tried before. Um, Lady Snowblood in go, going in reverse chronological order from the most recent. Lady Snowblood, Emperor of the North. You remember that fucking movie, Aaron? Emperor of the North. Yeah, that I really do. That will come up in the Golden Berries. Ooh, best dry run. Uh, That's a great best dry run. That was an incredible dry run. Um, uh, the Re- Revolver. Uh, during the Politiotesky series. Ganja and Hess. We had to skip all the way two years or so between those two episodes. Ganja and Hess was the last movie we watched from 1973 or before earlier this year with Revolver. Uh, Enter the Dragon and Fantastic Planet. Real murderer's row of of fucking banger movies, I think. Uh, One after the other, all from 1973. That has been Other Loves We've Tried. Just for, I guess maybe we're gilding our own lily, uh, donning our own uh, laurels or whatever. But I really think it's fun to look back at how we've seen movies from almost every year uh, that we've covered another movie, except what was the most recent one? Junkhead 2017? I don't think we've actually seen anything from 2017 Junkhead, yet. Yeah. Junkhead. Uh, well, thank you for enjoying, uh, as I hope you did, another segment of Other Loves We've Tried, uh, name FPO. Uh, for right now, we're going to uh, head into our final segment of this episode, not usually of the, our episodes, but of this episode, and we like to call it Good Grief. Give Me a GIF, uh, where I ask our guest and our uh, my co-host about what images they'd like to see with this move with this episode when it goes out on for now Twitter. I do have a version of this movie uh, on my computer, so I can actually make animated images from it. Finn, uh, we've talked a lot about the visual presenta- presentation of this film, what pieces stick with you, how it moves, etc. Sort of the arc uh, structure and how things visually change over the course of the movie. What stuck with you? What uh, pieces would you like to see with this uh, episode when it goes out? You're asking someone who works in marketing that question. And so there's the I thing that no I would 45 see. timestamps. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to have the timestamp, unfortunately. But it's the thing we were just talking about. The Mars shooting the Christ gun. I think that's badass. Yeah. I think it's eye-catching. I think people are going to see it and go, oh, this looks interesting and maybe has a bald lesbian. Um, or at least my Twitter audience will think that. So <laughs> that's what marketing brain says. It's It's marketable. Even if I don't put that one through the Trial of Podcast account, I'm sending that to you so that you can tweet it with your when you retweet it. Thank you so much for the recommendation and suggestion. Um, Aaron, uh, do you have one this time around? I feel like no. you you were watching this the same. Yeah. No, I. Uh, this is like the dumbest movie to not have a gift from because there's like every scene you could make a an argument for. Um, man, I don't know. Maybe the one with the rainbow, you know, kind of room when he first meets up with the alchemist. I that's like such a if you Google this movie, that's one of the shots that's up there. So it's a little normy, maybe. But like, yeah, it that, was that. Or, yeah. yeah. I should have. There's one. should have prepped for the, those. Well, I'll use that as a launch pad because that was the yeah, first one go. from this movie that I felt was like conscionable to use as a gif in 27 minutes of the movie. Also, if yeah, you there, download there the was, subtitles. Yeah, there just ahead. wasn't a whole ton of, of dongs hanging out <laughs> like every yeah. other shot of this movie. Dongs and, and rotting bodies. And the most disgusting thing I've ever seen where the kid plucks a flower from his hand in the first scene. Well, no, that I, was that, metal as hell. That's some yeah, that was that. Timothy I Green thought you were talking about the guy's eyeball. That, that was fucked up. That, I, I'm okay with that. I dig that. I, I could get down with that guy. Um, except that he was really caressing that young girl. I think he was a pedophile. Um, I think that was the point. Yes. 
is that he was hmm. a pedophile. Jason, Maybe a quick reaction for the first time ever on Trilove. Uh, the next one was there's a um, a room full of mirrors, I believe, in the Alchemist's Tower, uh, where they're like he's sort of Rashal Ghouling him through the tower, explaining his mission and making him one of his acolytes. It's just uh, got a really cool like uh, every angle has a camera has a has a, a mirror thing. I thought that was a really cool sequence that could probably use a gif or two. Um, there, there's the shot of in the fascist, I forget what planet it is, the fascist police state guy who demands the testicles of all of his acolytes. Uh, they've just finished slaughtering a bunch of innocent protesters, kids, and then like he's bowed over holding maybe his helmet, I think. And there's just this smoke kind of creeps in from the background and engulfs the entire uh, frame and like a bunch of bodies and severed limbs and stuff. It's one of those like classically surreal images that makes no sense, but it actually it's completely fitting of the scene. It's just terrifying in a way. Uh, and then the um, the wax figures melting in the fire. There are a lot of good shots of that. Once the planets have decided to sort of renounce all of their earthly, earthly possessions and throw their very selves, their concept of their selves into the the pyre uh, at the center that they just tossed their money into. Um, a lot of those uh, like they, they don't look particularly like the the people. They just look like you know just. Have either of you played um, is the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask? I know you. Wait, did you how dare you fucking ask yeah. me that question? I'm just, I beat more Zelda okay, so, games than you have, motherfucker. I beat Zelda too. Don't ask me that question. Okay, don't so ask I've never me that. that. But you've never yeah. beaten Skyward Sword, have you? That's the that's the what I've, I've beat. There I we beat go. The first, we might be even well, Zelda one and Zelda two. That's boom. I don't need you ask me if I played Majora. <laughs> yes, I played Majora's uh, Mask. So yes. Majora's Mask, the Elegy of Emptiness. It kind of looks like the version of of the of the human that would be like left behind after Link plays the Elegy of Emptiness. It's like a bizarre freakazoid version of the little of the guy. Love love that. Uh, I, I love my references on this podcast. Uh, that then will close our Good Grief Give Me a GIF segment, which actually does have its own little sound effect. Good Grief. Give Me a GIF. I forgot that. I'm three quarters of the way into this uh, cider and I've already lost a lot of my train of thought. Uh, but that 1. actually is alcohol. 1.3% <laughs> Just gone off the rails. It's actually literally called training wheels. So yeah, I've kind of gotten my, my own ass with that one. A cider uh, wh- for babies. <laughs> the first Anybody cider. Anybody can handle it. <laughs> It's just a little Martinelli's I'm holding behind the can. Uh, thank you so much, Finn, for uh, being on this podcast, for wanting to talk to us about this movie. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if you want them to find you anywhere? You can just find me. I'm around. Um, <laughs> I am at the trial on every other Sunday. And if you're lucky, you'll see me at one of the noir films because we are doing our 15th annual noir festival. It is stretching winter all winter long. And it's at the Heights in February, but you'd have to go to the Heights to do that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Finematic and PSA. Um, I, I feel like I have to say this in honor of Hodorowski. Um, iPhones can be sex vibrators, and if you are <laughs> the Twin Cities area, you go to Smitten Kitten. They sell them for like $70, <laughs> and it is expensive, but I believe it's worth it because it can connect to your phone. Um, so just be polymorphous. That's, yeah, that's what I, I'm saying. What, I love uh, that. Can- can I ask, is there a movie, uh, is there a trial on movie coming up that you're super psyched for, noir or not? Any specific oh, one that you're like, that's God. the fucking one. Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, Strange Days, which we are showing uh, on New Year's. Um, I have never seen it, but I'm really excited to. I did learn that it was Ray Fiennes, not Kurt Russell. No, disappointed me a little bit. Um, but then all the way out in February, we are doing a double feature of Drop Dead Gorgeous and Miss Congeniality. Um, and I'm particularly excited for that because I'll be writing about Miss Congeniality um, and writing about more lesbians. So if you like lesbians, find me on Twitter. 
<laughs> find Finn on Twitter. Uh, find all, find Finn also at the uh, the helm, as I understand, of Perisphere, the Trilon blog. One half, we've, made, yeah. we've we've name dropped it a few times here. Go to Perisphere.org to rate, uh, read pieces that uh, Finn has helped preview and uh, review and publish and make as pretty as they are and as insightful as they are. Uh, and also writes for it, contributes occasionally. Um, is that going to be your next piece, uh, Miss Congeniality in February? Yes, uh, Miss Congeniality will be my next piece. And then I will be writing for some stuff in our spring calendar, uh, which I can drop to you off bike. And then I'll probably be taking a break because Olga is defending her dissertation. Yay, Olga. But that means I will be doing a lot more content editing and that takes up mm-hmm. a lot of time. So Well... Uh, we appreciate it. The Trilon appreciates it. I'm sure that uh, contributors appreciate it. Keep up the wonderful work, Finn. Um, we will just be here over in the content mines, churning away at whatever this podcast has become over the last 256 episodes. Yep, that's closing the books on 256. Uh, check us out for a bunch more tweets, probably a thousand or so tweets. Uh, over the course of our 256 episodes, you can check us out on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. I don't remember how many times I've tweeted. I had one hit tweet. Thank you, Harry. Uh, a couple of years ago and have never lived it down. Um, check me out if you want to find that tweet uh, at Nintendoofus. My name's Aaron. Uh, you find me on Twitter at please. Every day I wake up my naked male secretaries. edit this together so it's seamless you can't just you understand that right like it is what are you going to do with this put it in the outro <laughs> and i had good dip but i had only the normal lays that aren't ridged so they just like you can't dip for shit with those chips they just break every time right you, you mean need like the a, ridge. you need the structural the soft... integrity of the ridge yeah i mean if no. you really want to if you want to ensure like you're never going to lose a bit of chip Get some uh, like kettle crunch. Get some Dutch crunch shit going on. That feels too opulent. I f- it's it's like it's like, like, a, like kettle like, kettle chips should not be dipped. In my opinion, they should be the star mm-hmm. of the show. Should be the extra crunch, the the weird off fucking flavors you got. If you're dipping a chip, you want like the lays. You want, you want lays wavy. In my opinion, or mm-hmm. you get like the hey. Did you guys know? Here's a real fucked up thing. I think I've literally told this on the podcast. Uh, lays and ruffles owned by the same company. That's yeah. bullshit. That's yeah. crazy. Everybody, welcome back yep. to Chip Love, the only podcast <laughs> about the lays we eat mm-hmm. and the ruffles that Aaron is waving around on camera. I met <laughs> also met at the Trilon, weirdly enough, <laughs> unrelated. <laughs> but. I would I would kill you where you stood. I would put my foot through your fucking head if you crunched on a bunch of lays chips in the middle of a movie at the Trilon. If I snuck lays in. Look, can, can I just start talking as if nothing yes, happened? And yes, now, now, yes. Now, where we left off was I got done talking about the panic movement, my whole little bit. You had put your hand up while Finn was talking. Do you remember what yeah. you're... Because I had okay, said, then, I yeah. feel like people aren't going to like this movie. Yes. Aaron. Uh, then you pick it up wherever you like, big I'm man. Take one more sip and then I'll... <laughs> now I got my cough back. It just put me <laughs> off my...
you put a bunch of salt in your body while you have a cough, and then you're downing it please, with Jason, dark please, beer. I need, I need my mental space.